This is Diane Accordi with Book Talk. My guest is Mark Lee Gardner, an authority on the Wild West and author of nine books. His newest title is The Earth is All That Lasts, Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, and The Last Stand of the Great Sioux Nation. Mark is Zooming with me today from his home at the foot of Pikes Peak in Colorado. Mark, welcome back to Book Talk. Thank you for having me, uh, Diana. I appreciate it. You've written about many a cowboy, soldier, and bank robber. Why a biography of Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull this time? Well, it really starts with my childhood. I come from a family of loggers that cut timber in Missouri. But my dad always made sure to take off a couple of weeks in the summer to take the family to places they'd never seen before. And my father had an interest in history as well as my mother. And one of my earliest memories, and it was a very vivid one, was a visit to Little Bighorn Battlefield National Monument. At that time, it was called Custer Battle. But, you know, I from that day forward, I was just fascinated. And, of course, in my childhood, the fascination was with the 7th Cavalry and Custer and what actually happened. There was no one left, at least, you know, of the men with Custer to tell the tale. And then gradually over the years, the story of the Lakotas and the Cheyennes who were fighting for their homeland has come more to the forefront. And I just have become very fascinated in their culture and what these two great leaders were trying to achieve uh, with their resistance to that white encroachment. What was life like for these two men when they were growing up in the Great Plains? Well, when they were growing up, and Sitting Bull was born in 1831, Crazy Horse about nine years later, it was a very interesting window of time where, especially in the early period, and I'm talking 30s and 40s, there was this kind of fragile balance with their buffalo culture. There were a few white traders in in Sioux country. They could trade buffalo robes for their various wants, manufactured goods, you know, kettles and beads. And there wasn't much more than that with uh, as far as interlopers in their land. But as the years went on and the discovery of gold in California, the rush to Oregon, and then eventually the building of railroads and cities on Indian land, for instance, Denver was built on uh, Cheyenne and Arapaho land. Their homeland basically was seeing encroachment on all sides and it was impacting the buffalo herds and it became a bitter struggle to try to keep uh, the whites or your Americans off their land and Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse were at the forefront of that fight. What happened at the Battle of the Little Bighorn and why did it happen when it did? Well, the reason it happened when it did was because of the discovery of the gold in the Black Hills. A flood of white miners uh, invaded Lakota land, uh, built camps, uh, staked out claims, and by treaty, by the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868, that land, most of it belonged to the Lakotas. But the U.S. government, uh, they changed their policy and decided instead of trying to keep the miners out, they were going to try to get the Lakotas to change the treaty and agree to ceding those lands. And the U.S. government, the Grant administration, what they saw as the troublemakers uh, or the wrench in the works were these anti-treaty bands under Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull. So that military campaign in the summer of 1876 was really to conquer those tribes, force them onto reservations, and then that would apparently lead to forcing them to agree to give up those lands. 
Now, Sitting Bull and a Cheyenne warrior named Wooden Leg said this in, in his account that was given years later. He said, we were attracted to Sitting Bull because not only was he a great leader, but we knew he was for living apart from all whites. And that's what we wanted to do. We just wanted to be left alone. So about 5,000 individuals were gathered there on the Little Bighorn River that June of 1876 when uh, Custer tracked them down with his 7th Cavalry. And what happened? Well, what happened was um, a couple of things. One is is that there were lots and lots of warriors who were bent on protecting their families. And one of the things that people don't remember uh, when they're reading about the, quote, Indian Wars is that uh, these wars were conducted against villages most of the time. I mean, when U.S. forces attacked, they were attacking the homes and the families, and they were in danger. So there was a very a great incentive for warriors to resist, to protect those uh, loved ones. Uh, the other thing that was key in this encounter fight was that Lieutenant Colonel Custer made a very poor decision in dividing his troops. He split his fighting force into three battalions, which allowed the Lakotas, they had maybe 1,500 or 2,000 warriors, they could basically attack these units piecemeal. And they stopped one charge into the village led by one of the battalions, and then after they retreated, they could go after Custer, who was at another part of the battlefield. And they basically, well, they did. They annihilated him and his force. What was the immediate aftermath of the battle? Well, talking about from the Indian perspective or from uh, the Euro-American perspective? Both of them. Well, uh, from the Euro-American perspective, the U.S. government, uh, it was complete, utter shock and amazement. George Custer um, uh, was a Civil War hero. He was a brilliant general. Uh, and commander in the Civil War, and he was really the epitome of the cavalryman, the fighting cavalryman, and very swashing and debonair, elected outlandish uniforms, but he was very talented, and he was a real fighter. So the fact that Custer would be killed and about 200 men under his command was truly unbelievable. And what it led to was even a more concerted effort to go and subdue uh, these, what I call the anti-treaty bands. As far as with the Lakotas and the Cheyennes, um, that size of a village could never maintain itself for very long. So it was total all-out war after the Bighorn Winter Campaign, and really it was the, the shrinking buffalo herds and uh, the starvation of their people that forced these leaders uh, to have to go in or perish. Why did the buffalo herds start to dwindle then? Well, it was a combination of many, many things. Again, it wasn't just Indians that were taking buffalo. It was also market hunters, uh, travelers, tourists, sportsmen. These herds, early in the 19th century, seemed like they were infinite, that they were impossible to count. But when you continue to harvest uh, the animals, and it's not just Indians, but again, the white hunters as well, and combine that with drought, disease, it's just impossible for these herds to recover. And one of the big things about the buffalo trade, the buffalo rope trade, which the Cheyennes, Lakotas, and other native tribes participated in, was that these robes, the best robes, were cows and calves because they're more pliable. The bulls, it's a thicker hide. Well, you're taking the breeding population when you harvest the cows and the calves. So, again, when you combine with all you know, the encroachment of whites, again, there's drought. And just that heavy harvest year after year. And by the 1870s, it was becoming desperate. There were certain pockets of land, the Powder River country, northern Montana, where there were still some large herds. But um, the market hunting continued and the rope trade continued. 
So it was a combination of many, many things uh, that almost led to the extermination of the bison, for that matter. So without the buffalo, and the generals in the U.S. Army knew this, once the buffalo herds were gone, they knew that this buffalo culture could no longer exist. So the battle was both a victory and the beginning of the end for the Sioux. It was. I mean, you could, yeah, it was It was both those things. And, uh, uh, and that's kind of the... Uh, the interesting thing about the phrase, the last stand, um, it's always been the last stand for Custer and his men. But in a way, it was the last stand for these free-roaming, uh, freedom-loving Lakotas and Cheyennes. What does your title, The Earth is All That Lasts, mean for this book and these people? That comes from a rallying cry that was often used by Crazy Horse in rallying his warriors in these multiple fights with the long knives of U.S. cavalrymen. And what it means is, is that brave up, be brave. No one here is going to be around forever. If you have to give your life today in defense of our people, then do it. You're not going to be here forever. It's only the earth that will be here. So do your best, be your bravest. Another rallying cry was that today is a good day to die. So they knew that that their fate ever present, that they would not be around forever. So make the best use of today. Fight for today. The earth is all that lasts. Well, thank you. My guest is Mark Lee Gardner, author of The Earth is All That Lasts, published by Mariner Book. This is Diana Cordy with Book Talk. Yeah, thanks for having me.